Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You special edition. Today is Sunday, January 27th, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. This morning, we are presenting a Step 6 and 7 panel. In Step 1, we saw the problem. In Step 2, we saw the solution. In Step 3, we made a decision. And in Step 4, we had to go to work to identify the things that blocked us. In Step 5, we reexamined those blocks, getting down to their exact nature, making sure they were fine-tuned. Now we're ready to start changing. So Steps 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 have put us into position for Steps 6 and 7, the changing process. Step 6, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step 7, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Here to talk with us today about Steps 6 and 7, their experience with the changing process, are three recovered compulsive overeaters, Janice P. from Minnesota, Carolyn H. residing in Massachusetts, and Deb P., who resides in Pennsylvania. And first up, Janice P. from Minnesota. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Ever, ever, ever so grateful to be with you all here this morning and to talk about um, some of our step work, which uh, we do, um, and and it gets us to a place known as recovered. And um, I'm grateful for that this morning. Um, just to uh, tell you a bit about myself, um, I have been in the rooms of OA since 1989. I went to my very first OA meeting back in 1989. And I tell you, although I was miserable, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But I never left the rooms of OA. And finally, on July 1st of 2001, I found the level and the way to recovery that I know today. And it came directly from the big book. It came from a disciplined and structured approach that I was willing to work as if my life depended on it. And that continues to this day. Thank you, God. It continues to this day. And so today um, I am going to talk about Step 6 and 7. And, you know, I said it before to all of you, but I'll say it again. You know, doing this kind of a talk for me, I, I always find myself nervous. And, uh, and my sponsor always reminded me in the early, earliest days of my recovery, and it's true today, that God is very reliable. So um, God always seems to kick in and, uh, and relieve me of, of, um, of my nervousness and, uh, and gives me the ability to say whatever it is that I'm supposed to say here this morning. And step six and seven, you know, what a wonderful, wonderful place in the process to be, you know, and it, it was a great reminder to me of the things that I have learned, the things that I have learned, you know, and, and thank you, Leah, for reading those steps and, and for giving a little overview of where, where we're at, because step six says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 
And then followed by step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Well, you know, you can't do step six and seven unless you've done steps one through five. Because if you haven't done steps one through five, well, you don't have any character defects, right? You don't have any character defects if you haven't done steps one through five. And so when we get to this place, when we get to this place where we are at a pivotal point, you know, this step six and seven to me are a very, very pivotal point. And although people may say, you know, there's not much written, you know, there's not many paragraphs written in our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about step six and seven, they have come to be a hugely important part of the process of working the 12 steps for me. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that this morning. You know, it says on page uh, 64 in the 12 and 12, and let me turn to that here, it says, when men and women pour so much alcohol into themselves that they destroy their lives, they commit a most unnatural act. A most unnatural act. Define their instinctive desire for self-preservation. They seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their own deepest instincts. And you know, that was true for me. That was true for me. In the disease of compulsive overeating, I was committing a most unnatural act. You know, my body and my mind were sickened. My body and my mind were sickened. And nothing could happen until I reached that state of such miserableness, such desperation, such powerlessness, that I was willing, that I was willing on some level, in some deep place inside of myself, to seek a way out of where I was living. And that way out would be the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And I learned about those 12 steps in a way I could never have learned any other place through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so first of all, the food had to go down. The food had to go down. Just like the alcoholic had to quit drinking, I had to quit committing that most unnatural act. But guess what? I'd never been able to do that. I had to surrender to win. That's one of my favorite sayings in AA. We had to surrender to win. Because, you know, one of my favorite slogans had been figure it out. (laughs) One of my favorite slogans in my own life had been figure it out. And it didn't help me. It didn't help me against this disease of compulsive overeating. You know, those steps, those steps would stop that unnatural act. That step one of powerlessness, absolute powerlessness, the admittance. I had to admit that I was powerless. Admit that I was powerless, that my life had been unmanageable, and put the food down. And put the food down. And then we could address the greater aspect of my disease, which was my thinking which was my thinking, because I had the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I had the mind of a chronic compulsive overeater. And what does that mean? It means that I had practiced that way of thinking for so long, and it was so deeply 
ingrained in me that way of thinking that it permeated all areas of my life. So thank God that Bill W. and these first 100 recovered alcoholics could put down in this book, me, me, that selfishness and self-centeredness had been the root of my troubles. And it says that on page 62 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it, it was the root of my troubles. It was the root of my troubles. But when I got to that point where I had come to believe in a power greater than myself, knew that there had to be a power greater than myself to get me out of this, I also came to that place where it speaks so beautifully of that in We Agnostics. You know, where it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That was my illness. And the solution was going to be a spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience began with the working of these steps. One through five, absolutely necessary. Knowing my powerlessness and knowing that these things that blocked me from the sunlight of the spirit that were blocking me from that spiritual awakening and that spiritual experience had to be addressed. They had to be addressed. So what Bill W., I think, in the steps and those first recovered alcoholics found out for me is that more power and more strength was going to be needed every step of the way, every step of the way. Because when I got to step six and seven and all my character defects were laid out clearly in front of me through the work of steps four and five, through that inventory process, then what was going to happen here in step six and seven was change was going to start happening. Change. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I was going to keep on acting on those same ways of thinking, that same ingrained thinking, that alcoholic thinking, remember, that I was talking about. But now I could see. And it said on page 72 in the big book, we have put our finger on the weak items in our personality. We put our finger right there on those weak things. And what did I discover they were? That I was frightened? I was dishonest, I was selfish, I was self-seeking, and I was inconsiderate. Whoa, that's quite a list. That's quite a list. But the biggest for me of those was fear. The biggest because I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. So what I discovered was that in order to have those character defects removed, First of all, I had to be entirely ready. You know, I've, I've heard and I've learned in these rooms that, that awareness, I can't do a thing about the things I'm not aware of. But guess what? Steps four and five made me very aware. Made me very aware. Laid down those things right there in front of me. Showed me that my instincts were being driven. Driven, driven, driven. 
natural instincts in me that God had provided me with, but they were being driven by this disease into unnatural places and unnatural acts. So that fear and that dishonesty and that selfishness and that self-seeking and that inconsiderate behavior had to be addressed. And that's what step six was going to be all about. It was Those things were now objectionable to me, not only because they blocked me from God and God was going to be my solution, but that wherever I turned, I was hurtful to people and I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I didn't want to be that person anymore. Because those things in me stepped on the toes of other people and then they retaliated. And wherever I turned, it grew in me resentment. But it was my own powerlessness, my own powerlessness that had to be looked at. You know, if I wanted to be free of those things, those resentments and those fears and that dishonesty, because those were the things that always, always drove me back to the food. You know, I'd want to pick up a banana nut muffin because I couldn't stand the way they made me feel. I couldn't stand the way they made me feel. So I had to have a new way of thinking, a new way of acting on life. And step six took me to that place where I was entirely ready. But I was back at step one with the powerlessness. Step six and seven took me back to step one and my own personal powerlessness. And thank God, this step said, you need more power. Janice. You need to plug into that power source if any of this is going to be changed. If any of this is going to be changed, there's going to have to be a power greater than me fueling that. It's going to be my source. It's going to be that place in me that's going to take that change to a whole other level. So what I love, what I love is something that's in the 12 and 12 And it's on page 108. And it's actually under step 12. But in step 12, they're giving us an overview of each one of the steps. And in step 12, it says this about step 7. Then in step 7, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings such as he could or would under the conditions of the day we ask under the conditions of the day we ask. So guess what? That taught me, that showed me 24 hours, this day only. All my character defects are not going to be removed in one big fell swoop forever and ever, amen. It's going to be one day at a time. Under the conditions of the day I ask. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I'm going to tell you about three things, three words that have become the groundwork, the foundation work for me. Awareness, acceptance, action. Can't do a thing about the things I'm not aware of. And in the conditions of today, when those character defects rear their head, when my fearfulness, when my selfishness, when my inconsiderateness rears its head, I am aware now. I am awake and aware. The food is down. I feel everything. 
I'm connected with my higher power. So I feel that. And you know, it says the truth will set you free, but first it's going to make you miserable. (laughs) And this pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. So when that painful thing rears its head, I say to myself, okay, God, you have to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I'm plugged into that power source. And what do I really want? I want to act with love. I want to act with love because that's the real deal, the whole deal, the only deal. I want to act with tolerance. I want to act with patience. I want to act with courage. I want to try to be humble. You know, a tall order, yes, but only for today. Only for today. And in the beginning, it sort of meant do the things I didn't want to do and don't do the things I wanted to do. Because that old ingrained thinking needed some big shifts. It needed some big changes. So when those situations happened, my mind was this set of all these mental habits, these mental ways of thinking, and I couldn't always trust that in the beginning. You know, this was a process. This was a process. It was going to take me to steps eight and nine. But until I worked through all of steps eight and nine, I could use these steps, steps six and seven, to help live my daily life and not make more wreckage, not make more hurtful feelings in others, not make more retaliation. So those old behaviors had to be replaced with new behaviors. Because it says nature abhors a void. So if I stop doing what I was doing, something had to rush in and fill that place. Some new action, some new way of thinking had to come in and place it. So the things that I did are the things that I still do today. First of all, I prayed. I prayed and I say, God is in every breath. Take a deep breath, Janice. God is in every breath. God, you've got to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Great reminder, awareness, awareness, awareness. Then if I have a chance, take a phone call, take a second for a phone call, and say to somebody, I'm facing this situation, I'm not quite sure what to do, I don't want to cause more harm, talk me off the ledge. And I had to develop a network of people who knew me inside and out. No chit-chat on the line. Call with a spiritual question, a spiritual situation. Help me to see what I should do in this situation. And sometimes, God bless the people. They would share their own experience, share with me what they would do in that situation, what they had done in that situation, and I would follow their lead. And if they had no, if they had no experience in this situation, they might say, what's the spiritual solution here, Janet? What's the best way to deal with this? And I could take directions from that, from that centering kind of feeling and not assume that my way of thinking was going to be right. And there was a great deal of acceptance in that, in that asking for help, in that knowing that God could help me, that another human could help me and accept that I was right where I was supposed to be, doing just what I was supposed to be doing. The ease and comfort came in that place. And then whatever action I took looked entirely different from what old action I might have taken. 
Because my old thinking was always, I know, I know, I know. I didn't want to appear dumb. I didn't want to appear stupid. I didn't want to appear like I didn't have the answers to everything. But there was a great deal of humility in asking for help. God, please direct my thinking right here, right now, under the conditions of this day, of the day I ask. Let me ask for help from someone else. Let Be my power source. Power that finger to dial the phone. Power my strength to ask for help. Give me your guidance. And that could grow in me. Those changes would grow in me. They would become a new way of thinking and a new way of acting. But still today, I rely on others' help. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and relieve me of the bondage of self, but help me also to ask for help from others, to check out my thinking with my sponsor, to check out my thinking with my fellow, before I take the action that's going to cause more harm and more hurtfulness. Let me be generous rather than stingy. Let me be kind. And if I can't be kind, let me keep my mouth shut. (laughs) If I can't be kind, let me keep my mouth shut. Because I was always driven by a hundred forms of fear. But now fear could be replaced by courage. Sometimes to act bravely meant to keep my mouth shut. Sometimes it meant say something that's going to say, Janice doesn't have all the answers. But I can find the answer if you'll let me. So I am very, very grateful for these two steps because they have been the change in me. They were the start of the real change in me. And that change grows one day at a time, every day, that I work these steps as if my life depends on it and I get a new way of living. And there's nothing like it. But God made that possible. God made that possible. And these two steps show me that God will always be there under the conditions of the day I ask. Let me not forget to ask. And with that, I'll pass. Janice, thank you so much. I now welcome Carolyn H. to the line. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, a vision for you. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this today. My name is Carolyn. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and I know it. And I'm here today to share how I work steps six and seven in my life today and what they mean to me and how they've changed my life. I um, have been in program for approximately 28 years, and um, the last almost four years of that have been on phone lines such as this, and this is where my recovery came to be only four years ago. And I I say that with gratitude because it took me those 24 years of not getting this program, of always feeling like I was that constitutionally incapable person of grasping this program to learn more lessons so that I can help the people that I help today. Thank you, God, one day at a time. And it was just, for me, a very long journey, and it wasn't until um, almost four years ago that I had the ability to 
so totally beaten up and so totally at my wit's end that I was willing to finally give myself 100% to step one because that for me was where this entire program was, was all about committing and admitting and making that head and heart connection and allowing God to take over my, my being and doing his work for me today because I live today God-centered as much as I can. I'm a human being, and I love those human moments that God kicks me and says, you're still human, you're not me. Step aside and let me take over again. And it's just a wonderful way to live today. I um, So for me, step one was about allowing myself to be 100% committed to the fact that I was completely powerless to this disease, that compulsive overeating ruled my life and consumed me in such a way that the only thing I ever think of, thought of 24 hours a day was food, how I was going to get it, what I was going to eat and when. And then step two was I had to redevelop my entire concept of a higher power so that I could do step one 100%. It just wasn't coming to me, and I couldn't figure it out. And and then one day reading Bill's story and listening to people share on it, as they did on the line, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I could redevelop God. I didn't have to keep the God of my understanding because I didn't 100% trust him so I couldn't 100% give myself over to him. Step three, I made that decision to turn my life and my will over to this beautiful brand new higher power that I recreated in my head that I choose to call God today. Step four, I white-knuckled it through that entire step. Keeping food down through the fourth step was the most horrendous act of my life. It was just so unfathomable sometimes because I was reliving such pain that I didn't know how to just keep away from the food. I called my sponsor many times going through it, and I reviewed what I was going over with her, and I said to her, you know, I'm such an angry person, and why am I doing this, and why am I being... And it was just because it was all about me still. It was still all about me. And then when I got to step five, and I took a look at the fourth step, and I got to step five, and it was like taking a deep breath. (sighs) That was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful to be rid of some secrets that I kept to just me and nobody else in the world knew until the day I gave it away to my sponsor. It was wonderful. Now I had to start with giving up. I had to give up. I had to let go of my old self. I had to be reborn. I needed a new birth. And I was just, at first, I was very excited. I jumped in with both feet. I said, oh, this is easy. Anybody can do it. And then I heard a uh, pastor make a comment at a sermon he was doing. And the comment was, What are we going to do about Jesus? And all of a sudden, I stopped dead in my tracks. It resonates in my head to this day, and that was a couple of years ago, and I just can't get that out of my head. 
And that comes up every time a situation faces me and tells me that I need to take a look at myself and at what's going on and what role am I playing in it. It's all of a sudden I have to step back and and commit to myself and to my higher power, whom I choose to call God today. I have to look and say, you're absolutely right, God. You're in charge, not me. I need to step aside. I need you to take over because I can't do it anymore. When You know, after a while, it was just all about how free did I want to be? How free did I want to be? Did I truly want to give myself away? Did I truly want to let go of all these things that I didn't like about myself? Did I truly want to let God step in and help me rearrange myself and rearrange my thinking and rearrange what I applied in my life today? And at first, Like I said, the answer was very simple. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. And then when I realized that some of the things that I do that aren't such a beautiful thing, I like doing. I like doing them. And how dare me have to give that away? How dare me have to give over to a higher power these defects of character? You know, I I used to like to do the gossip thing. I used to like to tell some um, very ridiculing jokes. I, I used to, you know, and I never thought about how other people were affected by these things. I never gave it a thought because it was all about me and what I enjoyed. And then when I sat with my higher power and said, what is this all about? What is this step all about? And what do I really have to do in order to keep my abstinence? In order to keep what I have today because I like where I am and I want to stay here. I don't want to give it back. I don't want to lose it. And I need all the help I can get to do this. It was all about the willingness. Step seven came into play here. Being humble enough to be willing Being humble enough to be willing, not worrying about getting the kudos for the job I did, not worrying about if somebody else got a pat on the back for something that I initiated. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. You know, it's it's all about ego for me. For me, it was about letting go of the ego. Ego, the acronym for that is easing God out. I want God in my life today, which means I have to get rid of the ego because I want to keep God in my life today. I work on building my life around my spirituality. My life today is being built around my spirituality. God continues to show me that I'm human and that I haven't gotten rid of all my defects of character. Hello, I'm still working on them. But he also tells me that it's going to be a lifelong journey, and it's going to get better every time it comes up. Every time a situation happens that I say, okay, God, why is this happening all over again? 
I have to step back and say, okay, what's the lesson I'm not learning from this? That you keep bringing up these situations that have the same idea behind them. What lesson am I not learning? And today I can actually do that. In the beginning, I had to make notes to myself to to do my prayer. I still, on my cell phone, every three hours from 6 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night, my calendar goes off with a little notification that says, Got God? That's my way of keeping God present in everything that I say and do. So that if my mind tends to go astray and start thinking Carolyn's old ways again, God comes back into play. He has that calendar set in my phone for me to remind me that I'm not in charge. And it's got nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing. It's not me today. It's all about God. When I speak, anytime I speak to somebody in program, even people not in program, I get up in the morning, the very first words out of my mouth are, before I even open my eyes, as soon as I know that my brain is waking up, I say, God, help me to say whatever it is you need people to hear today and not my words. Help me to keep my mouth shut and just speak your words for today. Because my mouth only got me in trouble. It only created problems for me. And it made me feel self-righteous and in charge. I wanted to be in control. I don't want to be in control today. I want to sit in the lull when there's quietness. I want to be able to sit there. I shared at a meeting on um, about a week ago, and nobody was sharing, and everybody was uncomfortable, and I was watching them, and they were all shifting around in their seats and getting anxious. And I thought, thank you, God, I can sit with this and be good with it. I can let there be a lull, and I can allow it to be five minutes, ten minutes, whatever I want it to be, because I'm letting God be in charge of it. And it's up to other people to allow themselves to understand that that's what it's all about. You know, I um, the sixth step is the last preparation step. It's the very last step in preparation of getting me ready to work with God, for God, and about God. When I had, um, in October, my son had a very serious situation come up, and the very first words out of my mouth were, God, he's your son first, mine second. Whatever your will is for him, I will accept. I don't have to like it, but I will accept it. And that's what step six and seven are for me today. It's all about acceptance. And that it's on page 417 in the fourth edition, page 449 in the third edition. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly, exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. 
Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude. And that brings me to the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity. Give me the peace, the calm, the serene to accept the things I cannot change, other people, places, and things, the courage to change the things I can, only me and the way I perceive them, and the wisdom to know the difference. Help me to keep my mouth shut so I don't put my foot in it. Help me to keep my mouth shut so I don't say or do something that's against your will. And that's what I want today. I want only God's will for me and God's will for everybody around me. I still, being a human, I still want, you know, for my children, they need this, they need that, and I want to be in control, and I laugh at myself. I absolutely step back and laugh at myself and say, look at you trying to play God again. Just give them over to God. Give them over to God. Every morning I'm on the line with about five or six people, sharing on a spiritual devotional and we share our thoughts about it and that's how my day starts at 5:30 in the morning i get up at five o'clock and that's how my day starts at 5:30. and from there it's all about it's all about program it's all about program and i instill program from that point up until at least minimum 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm working. I'm on my way to work. I'm getting dressed for work. But it's all about program and putting God first and foremost. Because if God is not first and foremost in my life, then my life doesn't matter anymore. And it's all about allowing, just allowing God to be in charge. Although I've already used prayer extensively, I have no... No formal, um, no formal way of praying to God. I just have a conversation. You know, a lot of people say to me, but I don't know how to pray. And I say, just have a conversation with a higher power that you understand. And it doesn't matter what your idea of God is. We all have, if you throw it all into a pot at the end of the day, it's all the same one universal spirit being whatever we we all believe that there is something greater than ourselves out there and it doesn't matter what you choose to call it there is something greater than ourselves and until we are entirely willing to say it's all yours god it's all good it's all yours i i just can't do this anymore take it away from me Even the ones that you love, that you don't want to let go of, that you keep hanging on to, you know, just have willingness. Just have willingness to look at yourself, how you're struggling to let it go and be able to laugh at yourself. That in itself, to me, is willingness to say, okay, this is pretty silly. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? That's what I did. It was, what's the big deal? There is no big deal. 
so I just work on that. And the more I work on that, my but one of my biggest defects of character was I swore like a truck driver. I mean, I dropped that F-bomb everywhere I walked. And today, it's very uncomfortable for me. It's very uncomfortable for me to be around people that say it. And I laugh at that. I truly laugh at that because that was so not me. I'm a new person. I am completely a new person. I have completely allowed God to come into my life and teach me a way of life today that is so second to none that even through the difficult times, it's all good. It's truly all good because I know at the end of the pain, there's going to be a great reward for me because I'm willing. I am willing. So at the end of the day, as long as I hang in there, that reward is going to be there for me. And it doesn't always happen in a nanosecond like we want. You know, I I want it yesterday. But it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes I have to go through that difficult pain for an extended period of time. And I have to understand that it's happening because there's another, yet another lesson for me to learn here because I truly believe that every day is a lesson for me. I have to identify my problem and I have to come to believe that there's a solution. Then I made a decision to seek out the solution. I had to clean my house. Then I had to be willing to live life clean and abstinent and sober. And actually, working these steps the way that they're laid out, I found other addictions in my life that I would not have seen had I not been willing to allow God to point it out to me. And it was truly a gift. Today, my addiction of choice today is I'm addicted to building my spirituality. I am addicted to working the steps of this program and I am addicted to helping other people. And I thought, hmm, there could be worse things. If I have to be addicted to something, I want it to be something of healthy choices. And it it just, you know, my defects of character are just um, sometimes overwhelming to me, especially when I can't figure out how to drop them. And that's where God comes into play again. I say, please, God, just show me what I need to do to get rid of this because I have no clue. I have absolutely no clue. The answers don't always come immediately. They come through other people. Other people are how God speaks to me. I listen to what other people have to say, especially if they've been there before, if they've done that, if they, because they understand. And if they're clean today, they get it. They truly get it, and they know what they're talking about. It's like the first hundred men and women that wrote this book. It actually initially started out with the first 40, and it grew to 100. But how do you argue with 100 people? If it was just one author of this book, if it was just Bill W. that wrote this book, you could say, Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But there were a hundred of them that were in complete agreement that this book was truly the way to go for 
abstinence and sobriety and any other to deal with life on life's terms. And that's what it's all about, just accepting life on life's terms and living one day at a time in the light of the Lord for me. You know, I want to live in that light. I want to live in the light of God today. I don't want to live in the darkness. I don't want to live in beating myself up. That bat was getting very heavy, and I couldn't hold it anymore. I, on two different occasions, had gotten to the point where I wanted to be out of the picture because there was, to me, there was no way of fixing it. I couldn't fix what was wrong with me. So the only way to fix it was to not be here. And thank you, God. God intervened and said, I've got a better way for you. Just let me show you. Let me show you. And I hung on to that that bit of hope. I had that. Just all you need is that flicker. Just that little flicker, a cinder. We're all born with that cinder inside of us. And it's how we develop that cinder. Do we snuff it out? and live in darkness, or do we build on that cinder and let it glow into a beautiful flame that lights up our entire body? And we walk into a room and turn heads without even knowing why. It's because we bring that hope with us. We bring that light with us. That light goes wherever we go. So long as we live in the the ability to be humble and say, I can't do this, God, and you're in charge. You're in complete charge of my life today, not me. And allow me to have those human moments, but show me how to get out of them and, and live in your light. And that's how I choose to live today. And I work all the steps on a daily basis. Because if I don't, then none of this means anything. If I can't work these steps in everything that I do, none of it means anything. And I have sponsors that say, but when can I get there? And I tell them, you have to be completely 100% on board with step one before you can go anywhere else. You cannot take the next step until you've completely taken step one. And I am so grateful today that God showed me that and that he brought me in this direction for a very specific purpose. And I'm starting to see what that purpose is today. And I am ever so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Now I welcome Deb Key to the line. Good morning, Leah. Um, good morning, Janice. Good, good morning, Carolyn, and good morning, A Vision, for you. Um, just thank you so much for really allowing me to share today. And I'm just going to ask um, just that I, I stay out of the way um, um, so that someone might be touched by, um, uh, by God. So um, my name is Deb. I am a compulsive overeater. And um, it's only through grace that I'm recovered today. Um, page 44, as has already has been mentioned, is exactly how I know what I am. So it's my quick qualification. And it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, 
or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So again, my name is Deb. I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, Janice, I love that you talked about the third step prayer um, in your discussion, because to me, steps six and seven, that that's kind of the real action and the real work that demonstrate that um, I believed it and meant it when I took step three. You know, step three was my decision, and step six and seven are my actions on that decision. And, and, and Carolyn, thank you so much for the review, you know, of one all the way up to five, and then the discussion about six and how you keep the steps present in your life. You talked about quietness and sitting within a lull in the midst of discomfort, and um, I think that's what humility is all about, and that's the gift that it brings us. So I'm so glad you spoke about that today. Um, Step six, wow, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And so, you know, as has been said, you know, where do we find these steps in the big book? Well, they're after steps one, two, three, four, and five, um, of course, as we're taught. Um, And I just want to take it apart a little bit, you know. um, What is a defect of character? And uh, page 64 and 65 in the AA 12 and 12 do an amazing job of describing what a defect of character is for me. Um, It says here at the very last line, it says, he did give man instincts to help him stay alive. And the he they're talking about there is God, of course. So God did give man instincts to help him stay alive. It is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our Creator expects us to fully eliminate our instinctual drives. So far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God has completely removed from any human being all his natural drives. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. When they drive us blindly, or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures that are possible or do us, that is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure of our character defects, or if you wish, our sins. So it's telling me that my character defects are, is when I allow something to blindly, blindly drive me. Um, and so it, it, it's, oh, it's, instincts are natural. It's when I warp them to try and get the things that I want that they create a lot of trouble in my life and the life of others. Um, um, and that, that, you know, the big book, as was mentioned, it's short on this because you've done so much work. And I, I love the AA 12 and 12 because it helped me kind of get some of this, um, you know, this cemented in my brain a little bit better. Um, and actually, the very beginning of the step, it says, um, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. This is on page 63 of the 12 and 12. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honestly to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations, whatever, has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in an image and likeness of his own creator. And I love that paragraph. It, it says repeatedly, 
and, you know, repeatedly over and over again. And I think about what happens in my life when I have done things repeatedly, whether anything new that I was learning to do, right, whether it was riding a bike or, you know, or learning a language or, frankly, for me, climbing a tree is my most vivid example, Um, you know, uh, learning to drive a car. You know, at first I'm afraid, right? At first I was afraid and I faltered, Um, I tripped, I fell, I hit my head, I knocked the breath out of me, I cried, I got back up, brushed off my knees and tried it again. So this tells me that this is a step I will do repeatedly, right? I will continuously get the opportunity to have God remove and, and be willing to have God remove all these defects of character. It does say all, all his faults, and that just means every one of them. I don't get to pick and choose. Um, it tells me that I need willingness, openness, acceptance, readiness. And to me, that means a willingness to listen, a readiness to accept help, a willingness to give up my old ways, and frankly, a willingness to be honest. And it tells me that I need honesty, enough honesty, right? That's about truth, about not holding things back, not having reservations, And that honesty is the gift that allows me to see um, and to acknowledge what I'm doing, to see in that moment, whoops, fallen back into that old behavior. And it allows me to avoid rationalization and justification. You know, honesty for me is about the acceptance of the truth of my actions and of my character defects. And it says without any reservations, whatever. You know, reservations are what I hold back, and I typically find when I've got reservations, there's usually a fear inside, and that fear is generated on the thought that I've got to go through something alone and that I don't have this great power in my life that I can surrender the outcomes to, right? So this step I get to repeat, um, and it talks about that in the 12 and 12. Um, you know, I always think, how does this work? You know, the... the um, the you know, we're, we are given through grace the relief of the obsession with food. Um, I didn't get my character defects kind of hang around a little bit, <laughs> um, sometimes rearing their heads. And on page 65, in the third paragraph, it says, if we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions. Here we go. There's a big but. But in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. That is something we are supposed to be willing to work towards ourselves. He only he asks only that we try as best we know how to make progress in the building of character. So that's clearly my job. You know, my job is to keep is to keep working on the building of character. So step six, it says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, is AA's way of stating the best possible attitude one can take in order to make a beginning on this lifetime job. Whew, thank goodness. This does not mean that we expect all our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to drink was. A few of them may be, but with most of them we shall have to be content with patient improvement. The key words entirely ready underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. So again, 
you know, I'm, I'm not driven. You know, I chuckle when I see that. It's not driven out. I'm not as white as the new snow, right? Um, it tells me some of them may be, and I will share with you that some of my character defects, the ones that were so deep within me, the ones that drove me back again and again when I really looked at them in steps four and five, I was relieved of some of those. Um, however, this is a lifetime practice, and uh, there are still others that are around. Um, so, and I always chuckle. I mean, like, what do you mean they're not lifted out, right? But page 66 tells us, and this is the part for me to remember, and this is where my humility needs to come in, is no matter how far we have progressed, desires will always be found which oppose the grace of God, right, always. And so this is why I need to keep working this step. I need to keep the honesty. I need to keep listening to what I'm hearing. Um, and, uh, you know, then the next question is, what do I do? You know, if I've got to do this, how do I do this and what do I do? Um, and page 68 says, I love this paragraph. It's in the second to last paragraph. It says, we shall need to raise our eyes towards perfection and be ready to walk in that direction. It will seldom matter how haltingly we, we walk. The only question will be, are we ready? So it doesn't matter if we trip. It doesn't matter if we fall. It makes no difference. The, the, the idea is that we are moving, moving in that direction. Um, and the directions for taking step six start on page 75 in the big book. Right after we get home, right right after we get home from our fifth step, there's a series of questions it asks. And then it says, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So that's what we're looking for here. And it's really interesting because, you know, they, they, in their wisdom, saw that they needed to separate the readiness from the actual taking of the step, right? There's a preparation. There's a preparation, which is step six, and then there's an asking, an asking, which is step seven. Um, step seven says, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. You know, again, shortcomings is just our character defects, our instincts that have gone awry. And we found out what they were in steps four and five, and we got ready to give them up in step six. That's when we became willing. And by the way, we stay willing, again, because they pop up. Um, I'm not uh, relieved of every character defect. Um, and I love the word, the whole chapter in the 12 and 12, really so much of it focuses on that very first word, humbly. And there's so much good instruction in our program on what that is. Um, I'm just going to pull, there's really a lot of reading here. I just want to pull the things that really, really strike home for me. Um, the first thing that strikes home for me is why do I need to develop humility? Um, and it tells me in the second paragraph why. Why is this important? The attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. God, get me out of the way. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. That's a pretty good reason. Nearly all AAs have found, too, that unless they develop much more of this precious quality than may be required just for sobriety, 
they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. So I even have a choice here. Is it just enough for sobriety, or do I want to become truly happy? Without it, they cannot live to live to much useful purpose or, in adversity, be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. Though that is why. That's why I need this. That's why, beyond needing it, I want it. Right, and that's the change. You know, I, I, the other part that struck me, I laughed about when I read this on page 72. It talks about, with a proper display, well, actually, I'll start before. True, most of us thought good character was desirable, but obviously good character was something one needed to get on with the business of being self-satisfied. With a proper display of honesty and morality, we'd stand a better chance of getting what we really wanted, but when we had to choose between character and comfort, the character building was lost in the dust of our chase after what we thought was happiness. Man, does that describe me, right? And I still have to keep an eye on that. You know, and with God's help, it becomes very aware to me that that's what's going on, right? Is that, you know, character building it, um, wasn't something I strove for in and of itself. It was something that I thought if I, did, if I appeared that way, if I appeared moral, if I appeared honest, right, that's what would get me what I wanted so much more of, because you would think better of me. Um, and so, you know, those words really hit me hard. Um, the other ones in the next paragraph, for just so long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, for just that long was a working faith and a higher power impossible. So it's telling me here, and it says at the end of that paragraph, the basic ingredient of all humility is a desire to seek and do God's will. And that's what was missing in me. That was what was missing in me. And when my character defects pop up, what's missing in me is my humility. It's my humility. Um, It also says on page 75, and I'm sorry to be flying through this so quickly, but there's so much good stuff here. Um, I love this line because this was how um, this was how I thought of God. <laughs> um, it says, oh, let's see, where is that? Oh, it's in the middle of the second paragraph. It says we began to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of bush league pinch hitter to be called upon only in emergency. The notion that we would still live our lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Wow. Um, you know, that was, that was my idea of God. Get in hot water, ask for help. Just get me out of it this time and I'll do better the next time, right? Pinch hitter. Um, and the point is that that's, if, 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 if God drives my actions and my thinking, I will do less of those things where I actually need a pinch hitter um, uh, to, to come into my life. Um, and, and I love the bottom of page 75 because, again, it gives me such great hope, and it is so the truth. You know, when, when I became a compulsive overeater, the disease bludgeoned me and beat me, beat me to get here. And let me tell you, I worked long and hard not to be here. Um, and the last paragraph here says, we saw we needn't always be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. We saw we needn't always be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. It could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching from it as it could from unremitting suffering. 
a great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really wanted rather than something we must have, right? It used to be I must have this in order to get the things that I think that I want or need. And today, again, I have the opportunity to learn and to continue to learn that if I seek it for its own sake, I get peace and I get joy and I get that happiness that's talked about. Um, You know, the directions for taking this step are in the big book and they're on page 76. And it says, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. So I think about that. Please remove from me every instinct that I have allowed to go, go awry and get that out of my way so that I can be useful to you. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding because that's what it takes because it's not always easy, right? And the, and the difficulty of it comes usually in my own internal struggle with myself. You know, that whole playing God that was mentioned earlier as well. Um, Dr. Bob has a beautiful prayer, and I'm grateful that someone gave me a copy of it, and it sits in my window um, right behind my kitchen sink. So when I get up in the morning to go down and have my cup of coffee and to get my breakfast ready, I get an opportunity to read it. And um, the, uh, he had this prayer on his desk for many years. And um, that, from what I understand, the author of the prayer is unknown, but it's beautiful, and I wanted to share it with you today. And it says, humility. So what is humility? Humility is perpetual quietness of heart. It is to have no trouble. It is never to be fretted or vexed or irritable, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing that is done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me, And when I am blamed or despised, it is to have a blessed home in myself where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and about me is seeming trouble. I love that prayer um, because it is the, it's again, it's what I'm looking toward. um, And it is the beautiful outcome that I get when I, Ask God humbly, humbly to remove my shortcomings. Um, So now I'm just going to have to say, do I have this all the time? Mm, No, but I do seek it. Um, And I'm grateful to God that I get to keep practicing and repeating. Um, What I don't learn the first time, I'll always get an opportunity to try again. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Deb. And, of course, thank you to all three of our panelists this morning. Again, Janice P., Carolyn H., and Deb P. Now we open the floor for any questions you might have. You can direct to any one of our panelists. Star 1 to unmute. Who has the first question? I'm Amy, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and I wanted to thank the two, the three speakers. I got so much from all of you. Um, since I'm a very um, concrete kind of thinker, 
um, I was wondering if you could all share with actual character defects that you see that have been lifted um, so that, you know, you could, so that we could see it, you know, right on. Okay. Thank you. Thank with you, that, Amy. I pass. Thank you very much for the question, and I'll ask you to mute again, please, with star one. And let's go from the top with Janice P., please. Um, hi, who was the who who asked the question again? Amy. Yes. Um, and and I'm not sure exactly what you're asking. You're asking what are the specific character defects that I deal with? Is that the question? That is the question, Janice. She wanted to know specifically which character defects perhaps you've seen relief from. Ah, well. Oh, that's a big question. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful question. Um, you know, I suffered from um, I knowism. <laughs> you know what I call I knowism. You know, I always felt like I had to have the answer. That that I couldn't appear unknowing. That somehow it made me afraid to think that other people were going to think I didn't have all the answers. And so, you know, that character defect was tied up with then dishonesty, you know, to, to, to try to fake my way through something if I didn't have the answer. And, and um, you know, that, that was based in a fear, you know, that was based in a fear. And so now today, you know, it, it took patient, patient, patient awareness, you know, seeing it when it cropped up seeing it, and then being willing to do something different. So today, if I'm asked about something, it's very natural for me to say, yes, I've had some experience with that. This has been my experience. Or to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, whether it's at work, in my workplace, whether it's with someone on the phone, whether it's with a family member, you know, wherever it is, I can now rest in that where I can say, you know, I don't know or I have no experience with that, but how can I be helpful? What can I do? Let's look that up. Let me do some research and get back to you. You know, to, to be able to have that relieved it is, has been very significant for me. Because I don't have to pretend, I don't have to lie, I don't have to make something up, because I thought that if I had the answers, then first of all, I would, appearances were everything, and I would appear in a certain light, and then everyone would be safe. You know, that was my other motivator. Underneath something was this idea that I could relieve that fear and everyone would be safe if I had all the answers. So I don't know if that's helpful at all, but with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Let's move to Karen. Oh, this is a great one. I love this question. Um, gluttony. Gluttony, agreed. Um, you know, that for me, that, that means um, wanting too much, like too much food, too much money, too much comfort, too much, I, I want it all. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it all. I want everything. 
today I accept what is given to me by my higher power. Today I don't wake up thinking, oh, what am I going to have today? I don't look at food and say, I'm going to eat that whole thing. I can look at food and say, I'm a little hungry right now. I think I'll have something to eat. You know, another thing was my closed-mindedness. I knew everything, and no matter what you told me, it didn't matter because I had all the answers. And I didn't want to hear what you had to say. You didn't matter. Your opinion didn't matter. Your ideas didn't matter. Nothing about you mattered. It was all about me. Everything was all about me. Today, I love to listen to other people. I want their opinion. I want to hear what they have to say. So maybe I can change up a little bit what I'm doing so that I can get even better results. I'm willing to be open to other people's ideas because I don't always have the answers. And there's a, a saying in program that your mind is a, a terrible neighborhood to go into alone. And that's so true when you have that closed mind attitude because you, for me, it was just all about allowing other people to point me in the right direction and to showing, show me the willingness. And then I had... Um, I had a bit of arrogance about me because I knew the answers. So you should too. How come you don't? And why can't you? That was me. Today, I look at people and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Or I haven't done that yet. Or that could be me too. I, I often say to somebody, I said it yesterday and they looked at me and said, that's a little bit extreme. But I, I say, you know, I'm no better than a murderer. I could do that too. Every one of us is born with every bit in us. We could do every bad thing that's out there in life. It's all about choices. Today, I make the choice to allow God to show me the right way to live and to allow myself to be willing. I see back to that allow myself to be willing to be open to hear other people's opinions because mine didn't work so good. If they did, I wouldn't be here right now on this phone. If my ideas were perfect, I would not be on this phone line. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to understand today. Gossiping is another one. I don't gossip anymore. If somebody starts gossiping, I just quietly walk away or I excuse myself from the conversation because it's none of my business how other people are living. That's their life. That's what they choose to do. I don't want to be a part of the gossip. I don't want to be a part of the gossip. I want to live in the solution today, and I want to do what's right. And talking about other people, for me, isn't the right way to live today. And, um, I mean, I could go through every every bit of character defect and point out how it's working better in my life. I still get angry, but it's not the way it used to be. I used to be so angry at people that I didn't even like being in the same room with other people. I didn't even like being with me. I was so angry at myself. And I've changed all that because I 
willing, again, willing to ask God to remove these defects of character. And it's just such a beautiful place to be. With that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. And now, Deb P., would you like to share about some of the character defects that have been relieved? Absolutely. <laughs> um, first of all, I'm glad I'm not alone because um, uh, Janice and Carolyn have certainly described my character defects as well. Um, and I guess the the word that always pops into my head, and um, you know, and when we talk about it. Um, not being as white as the snow, right? It's about being a chameleon. And it's something I get to continue, get to, continue to watch for. Um, and what I mean by a chameleon is, um, you know, a chameleon, whatever environment it's in, it takes on the color of the environment that it's in. Um, and this, this caused me a lot of pain in my life, I have to say. Um, not being grounded, not knowing who I am, not having my own principles or morals, which the program, thank God, has given me, um, but that whole concept of being a chameleon. So if it was blue, I would turn blue. Um, and, and I say that so I could be a part of, right? I was always afraid of not being a part of. Um, I was always afraid of being different than standing out from. In some ways, I so badly wanted to stand out from the crowd. And if I had an opportunity to be righteous or moral, I would stand out from the crowd, although that wasn't even true all of the time. Um, and, you know, how it, wh- how it actually came out in me in the most, I think, rel- the way that really hits me the most was about making commitments and promises that I had no desire to make. I had no intention of keeping. And, um, or that I thought I really wanted to keep them. I really wanted to be able to do that, but I had no ability to do that, right, because I wanted you to like me. So I would commit to doing something because I wanted you to like me, and then I would find all kinds of excuses to back out, right, because I really not, I, I wanted to be able to do it, but I really couldn't do it, right? And so that whole I would make promises and then break them. I was so inconsistent. And the beauty of today, the beauty of today is that pause or the willingness to say, I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you, right? It's the willingness to stop and think and say, God, what, you know, what do I need to do here? And it can be simple things. Am I giving that gift out of the, my heart? Am I giving it from my heart or am I giving it for some other reason because I want to appear to be generous. I want to appear to be benevolent. I want to appear to be kind. So, you know, it is, I, I chuckle that the book teaches me how to make amends. My disease, all I did was say I was sorry. I ran around saying I'm sorry all the time because I was sticking my foot in it all the time. I was making promises I wasn't willing to keep. And if I made a promise to you, I'd get angry at you for having asked me because I didn't really want to do it. That was another thing I would find myself doing, you know, and I'm just, it is good to have the ability to pause today. It is good to have the ability to pause today. And tomorrow I hope I have the ability to pause. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Deb. And to all three panelists, Amy, thank you for the question. I just I just want to thank you so much. I, I just don't have words. Thank you. Thank you. But that I pass. Thank you. Next question, star one to unmute. 
Hi, I'm Yvonne. I have a question. Please go ahead. Um, Your name? Yvonne. Good morning. Um, my name is Yvonne, Y-V-O-N-N-E. Um, so one of the ladies told that she has a spiritual time every morning at 5.30, something like that. I'd like to know how long this time is good to be. That's my question. Thank you, Yvonne. Carolyn, I believe that's directed to you. Yes. Um, for me, I spend at least a half an hour in my spiritual time, at least. Um, and that's first thing in the morning. And then I have spiritual time in the evening. Um, it can be anywhere from a half hour to a couple of hours. But just for me, I need at least a half an hour. Um, otherwise, I'm not actually tapping into my higher power. It's, it's uh, just tapping into me. So for me to get into my higher power, I need at least a half an hour. Thank you. Thank you so much for your answer. Thank you. Janice or Deb, did you also want to share about any of those uh, time dedicated to your spiritual so This is Janice. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Yvonne. What a what also um, wonderful question because I know there are probably other people who are interested in in uh, developing their own spiritual practice, whatever that might be. You know, I believe one of the things that I have found to be true is that um, Overeaters Anonymous um, developed some good tools that that we can use to help us work our steps to support us as we we do our, our process of working the steps and living a spiritual life. And, you know, one of them is reading and writing, and um, and so I, I do a daily practice of reading, and I choose something out of the big book or the 12 and 12, um, and do some reflection on it, and then write um, some on it. So um, I would say, all told, uh, I usually start with a little prayer. I, um, I have um, uh, my sister, my darling younger sister, gave me some of those neat, nifty little candles that don't have any flame. You know, they, they run on some kind of a little battery. And I, I turn one of those on and, and just let the candle, um, you know, be a focus and, and do a little prayer time and then um, and then do a little reading and writing. And it, it, I find it a great way to kind of focus myself in the morning. And I suppose all told that that maybe takes about a, a half an hour, close to a half an hour, um, from start to finish, and um, and so I I find that that's very useful. Kind of gets my thinking on straight for today, and connects me with my higher power, and and reminds me of who I am and what I'm up against. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice and Deb. Would you like to speak about your spiritual practice? Star one to unmute, Deb P. Sure thing, Leigh. I was talking to myself. <laughs> um, I I am still learning. I'm still a child. Um, and I do have a block in my room that reminds me. And on it it says, good morning, this is God. I will be handling all of your problems today. And some days that's as far as it gets for the morning. 
um, I continue to find that I have got to just tap in and tap in and tap in. Um, I've spent my life making lists, and when I check things off the list, I go, okay, that's done, taken care of. Um, And so for me, I need to make sure that I breathe. I pause during the day when I find myself getting excited. Um, I have to stop and just take a breath and say, okay, Papa, what's going on here? Help me. And it's that simple. You know, just give me some serenity and help show me what it is that I'm supposed to do. And a lot of times what I'm told to do is to be quiet, <laughs> as I think was also man- mentioned. So some, some mornings are quick. Some mornings are um, just as simple as doing the read. Other times I get an opportunity to listen to music that I love. Um, God speaks to me through music and through words, and he shows me other people's journeys that way. And so I love to put music on in the morning um, and listen to that, and that helps me as well. But for me, it's about in that moment of excitement during my day to just stop and say, okay, what's this all about, and where am I supposed to go, and help keep me calm and in your presence so I make the right decision and the, and the right words or no words come out of my mouth. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Yvonne, for the question. And thank you very much to all of you, all three of you, for the answers. It was very good for me. Thank you so much. I'll pass. Our pleasure. Any other questions this morning? The topic, step six, step seven, star one to unmute. This is yes, Hi, this, this is, is Gwen. I have a question. Gwen, I heard you, and could the other person identify themselves as well? Do. Do. Okay, Ryan. so... Gwen, and hey. then do. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad to be here. I keep learning and everything like that. Um, I don't know what to say except that you know I think it's been like 62 days of abstinence. Never had this before. I am a compulsive overeater, an emotional overeater, and the one thing that I want to tell you all in terms of my resistance is that I keep saying, or I've said before, this isn't me, this isn't me, this isn't me, you're not me, that's not me, that's not me. The only thing that I know today is, and one thing I can accept is that I am powerless, not helpless, but powerless, hard to know the difference. Um, I wanted to just respond, and this is my question to Deb. Um, Deb, I appreciated what you said about taking a pause, and I'm working on that right now. In fact, that's the word that I'm using with uh, one particular person in my life. May I ask you, how do you, de- how do you deal with other people's reactions? Because I am a... Oh, I am a people pleaser from day one. I am a people accommodator from day two. I get resentful from day three about it all. I lose myself on day four from all of this. I eat emotionally on day five from all of this. So what I'm asking you is how do you deal with other people's Reactions, emotional thoughts, accusations when you say, I need to pause, I need to reflect, I need to ask God. How how do you respond? Please tell me, and I would be very grateful. Thank you. Well, I have to go to the book um, because the book gives me great directions on this. Um, And um, um, I guess, first of all, I would say that pausing 
is about allowing me to connect so that I know what I'm to do. Um, and I love on page 118 into the wives into wives. It it gives a great example. Um, I don't. Um, it sometimes I walk out of the room, but it it tells me straight away. It says. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, so it doesn't say, it says next time you have a heated discussion, which tells me first heated discussions will occur, right? No matter what the subject, it should be the privilege, the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. And that advice was given to the wives but it's also given to me, right? It's given to me as a way to actually step away from a situation. You know, admitting I'm getting disturbed um, and it's getting heated and why don't we talk about it? Why don't we talk about it later? And really then talking about it later, okay? Really addressing it later, but, but getting away from my, my emotions, allowing myself the time to step away and feel those emotions, but not allowing them to rule the words that come out of my mouth in the moment of being hurt, being afraid, which usually means it ends up as looking like I'm angry or judgmental towards someone else. So it's really simple. It's just, it's given right there. And I have to read the words from the book because, you know, my way of doing it didn't work. This is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. And uh, it works. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gwen, for the question. Now, moving on to do. Star one to unmute, do. You had a question? Good morning. Yes, I do. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to thank Janice, Carolyn, and Deb. Um, I want to thank Janice for helping me today to see the awareness, the acceptance, and the action and step. Um, six and seven, especially step seven. And, um, Do, I'm Carolyn, just going to interrupt for a minute. Is there a way you can increase the volume? You're count coming out pretty faint there. Okay. Can you hear me now? Better. Okay. okay. Great. So, uh, like I was saying, um, I wanted to thank Janice for the um, step six and seven, um, for the awareness, the acceptance, and the action. Um, learning about that, and Carolyn, for my new addictions, um, being addicted to God and prayer, step work, helping others, and change in acceptance. And um, for Deb to show me how the steps are interchangeable, steps three, making the decision, and step six and seven are the actions that demonstrate that decision. And um, thank you so much for, for all that. Um, my question is, I'm right smack in the middle of step five right now. I'm turning over my my um, my fifth step to my sponsor. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to know, my question is, how do you know your character defects? Is it after you finish the fifth step, or is it right in the midst of doing the fifth step, or is it right after you finish the fifth step? <laughs> So I want to start with Deb, and then everybody else can answer that for me. Thanks. Oh, my. Um, I would say you know them when you're supposed to know them. (laughs) Um, And I think steps four and five help us um, 
help us see them, right? With the honesty, we start to see them. I mean, in step four, right, when we talk about step four, um, we are really, that's what that's about is really identifying our character defects or what we think they might be, right? That's what it's helping us do. It's helping me see where I was selfish, self-centered, and dishonest or afraid, right? Those are all the things it's asking me to look for. Um, and so in step four, I start to see patterns of things that happen. Um, step five made it very clear, though, right? Step five, when I talked with my sponsor, um, and I kind of I said, well, here's what I'm seeing over and over again. What am I? Am I missing something? Um, am I not seeing something? And they really, because of their experience, really helped me to see. And by the way, that continues today with people helping me to see when something is rearing its head. Um, you know, my pride um, rearing its head. Um, so I think it's throughout the the process. And by the way, it continues throughout life because, as we talked about um you know, we repeatedly do this, and so we repeatedly have the opportunity <laughs> to find out where we need to, where we keep faltering, right, and to look up and say, okay, what, how am I supposed to be? Like, I'm, I keep tripping here, and it hurts. Now, how, help me. Um, how am I supposed to be? That's, so I think it happens in four and five um, as an outcome of doing four and five. And with and and I, I, that's what I believe the book even tells us. So, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Any of the other panelists, Janice or Carolyn, like to respond to Dew's question as well? This is Janice. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me, Leah? Yes, indeed. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, well, you know, once again, we're let's go to the book here on on uh, page fifty five in the twelve and twelve, where it's talking about step five. It says, you know, we have swept the searchlight of step four back and forth. You know, it's revealed, um, it's you know, it's revealed some things as as we've been doing this, but it says we have to talk to somebody about it, and and then again, it says on on page. Um, uh, 59, only by discussing ourselves and holding nothing back will we really get a clear look. It says we haven't been able to appraise ourselves fairly at all by ourselves. By ourselves. So I think what, what I have learned and what was true for me is, you know, my own inventory of step four was my own inventory. <laughs> you know, it was it was my work directed by by the big book and the 12 and 12, but it was my own work. And, and I couldn't see things as clearly because it was just me. You know, it was just me looking at those things. And so it was in the telling, it was in the revealing, it was in the admitting to someone else and letting their eyes look at my inventory as well that even more character defects not only were revealed, but the ones that I had had been able to identify myself um, took on new new clarity. You know, there was there was something more that my my sponsor and and uh, and by sharing it with someone else was able to reveal to me. 
you know, I was able to see even more what those character defects were, my anger and my hurt pride and, and blaming and exaggerating and all of those things that I needed to have revealed. The helpfulness of doing that with someone else also made more things come to light, you know, more that searchlight, you know, uh, could could get even brighter on some of my character defects. So I don't know if that's helpful, but with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And Carolyn, would you like to step in on this one as well? Yes, thank you so much for that question. Um, I have to agree that um, in doing um, my fourth-step inventory, my character defects became more apparent to me. And then when I did my fifth step, um, they were very obvious. They were absolutely very obvious um, because... In doing the fourth step, while you're writing, you're not necessarily paying attention to your writing, especially if you're inviting God in. You know, my sponsor always had me say the third step prayer before I put my pen to paper with each person. Um, So when I actually did that, um, I allowed my higher power to do the writing for me. And then when I went back and read it, and had to do my turnarounds with it, um, it became very apparent as to um, who I was, who I was and what I didn't like about myself. And once I did my fifth step, what was so exciting was the ability to have that opportunity to start getting rid of um, that person that I didn't like anymore. But there were some of my character defects that I didn't necessarily think were so bad. Um, But today, as I I ask God on a daily basis to come into my life and guide my life for me um, daily, um, one of my biggest things was is that I couldn't pause. I reacted to every situation as it happened, and I didn't know how to pause, as Deb said. I didn't know how to step back from the situation. And every time it happened, I would say, God, please, next time, help me to step aside from that situation and look at it before I react to it. And it ended up becoming um, easier for me to do. So it... it um, truly became apparent by the end of my fifth step what all my defects of character were and then allowing myself because I needed to do the pause thing while I was doing my steps as well because I wanted to react to everything I was writing on paper. I wanted to react to myself and um, it just became very apparent to me that um, I truly needed to bring got into my life and step aside because there are a lot of character defects there that in my hands would still be very prominent today. So I had to give them over to a higher power so that um, some of them are still there. I'm not going to say that they're gone, but I work on them on a daily basis and God lets me see which one is going to be the, uh, the choice for the day. Um, and it's uh, very humbling to see that I'm not a perfect person. Thank you. Thank you. 
Carolyn. And thank you, Du, for the question. Any other questions this morning on steps six and seven? Rose? Go ahead, Rose. Thank you. Um, Janice, Carolyn, and Deb. Uh, and I Diane. I'm, I'm really thanking you, like, so much for um, all that you put forth here and shared from your life of transformation here in the um, from compulsive overeating. Actually, be, I had a question, knowing we were coming up on step six and seven, I thought about it beforehand. And um, so I had a question before you all started speaking. And um, even in listening to everything, I've decided to put the question out there I feel that you the three of you covered it I mean like for the rest of my life with answers uh, for me to work with which I intend to do but I felt I wanted to just ask the question still and if there is anything else that you want to respond to I'd appreciate it and if not I, I like I said I really have so many answers the question is this um what is your experience in using these steps on this aspect of the perverse pleasures you got from your character defects? Um, and uh, especially I'm interested in the uh, defect of self-pity. Um, I'm also in the middle of my fifth step, and self-pity is evident that it's an underlying of um you know, it's a it's a major character defect and one I've resisted, denied, lied about, avoided over eight for all these years to say, No, 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 this is not true and thanks to God and the fifth step and all the steps I admit that it is very large, very um uh eating up my soul and my life, uh not actively here today. Um but, thank uh, you. Okay. Rose, thank you so much for the question. So you're, you're asking about self-pity specifically. Yes. Thank you for the question. Any of our panelists like to respond to that question, please? This is Janice. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Um, yes. Um, hi, Rose. Hi, Rose. Um, there, the self-pity, you know, I, I, I don't know if this will be helpful at all, but for me, there was a direct linkage between self-pity and feeling like a victim, you know, for me, for me. And, you know, feeling sorry for myself came from this sense that I had that uh, life was not treating me fairly and the things that were happening to me in my life were were outside of my control and if other people would only do it right, you know, if other people would only treat me right, you know, I I would be doing so much better. And and that self pity, you know, poor me um feeling was was definitely the bondage of self. You know, it was definitely for me the bondage of self. And, you know, how are we relieved of that? Oh, my dear Rose, I wish I knew. I wish I knew and could tell you exactly step by step how that happened. All I do know is that it did happen for me, that it does happen, that I see it in other people as well. I think it's the thrilling part 
of step six and seven. I mean, really, because we get to turn it over. We get to give it all root and branch. You know, that self-pity, those roots went deep in me, you know, and, and they all had to be surrendered, admitted and surrendered, admitted and surrendered. And, and every time it cropped up, you know, it's, it's like I was saying with, with um, step seven, you know, God will relieve me of it. He could and would under the conditions of the day I asked. So I did not find my self-pity removed, whoosh, all at once, forever and ever, amen. Mm-hmm. But once I could identify it, once I could see it, once I could become aware, then when it did crop up, I could ask God to remove it, root and branch. You know, I could ask God to shift my perception, help me to see it differently. You know, that to me is the ongoing miracle because it's a disease of perception that you and I have. You know, we see things through a skewed vision. And and once we're aware that we're doing that, then when we're aware of it and it makes us miserable, <laughs> then, then we can ask God. We say, okay, God, you've got me right where you want me to be, seeing just what you want me to see. Shift my perception. Help me to see this differently and then help me to take action based on that new way of thinking. I don't know if that's helpful at all, but with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to, of the panelists, like to speak? Hi, this is Carolyn. Yes, go ahead. I I wanted to say a quote from John Godner, and and I love it. Self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics it is addictive, gives momentary pleasure, and separates the victim from reality. And, you know, for me, um, I lived in self-pity for a while, and that brought me to the brink of um, almost committing suicide on two separate occasions. And I, um, it was the most destructive of all the character defects that I could have, and Today, I don't even think of myself, and it's so awesome. Life is so incredible, um, not putting me first. You know, self-pity is right there with self-centeredness and and self-anything, self-righteousness and self. Anything of self is um, just a very destructive place to be for me. And in putting God first, then me. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Everything makes sense. When God's first, I don't matter anymore. That's <laughs> a funny way to look at it, but it's so true, and it's so beautiful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And Deb P., might you have any history with self-pity? Oh, I have a history with it. <laughs> don't we all? Um, and sometimes the history is yesterday, right? Um, and But the beautiful thing is part of the self-pity for me is just rationalizing, right? And um, um, and it's storytelling. And I used to love to tell stories. And the truth is just so much easier. So I think it just gets to the point, and it is. It's about asking God. I don't know when it gets removed. I know it's not... Um, you know, it's not a neighborhood I move into and live in anymore, but it is one that I visit on occasion. And the the solace that I find 
is first in recognizing it. So, Rose, there you go, right? Wow, what's going on today? What's going on in this moment? You know, where, you know, where is this coming from? And then just saying, you know, God, help change my mind, help change my perception, um, you know, really simple. And I love that quote. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to get that quote because it does talk about the destruction of self-pity. So with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Rose, for the question. Anyone else with a question this morning? I believe I heard a Diane trying to get in. Am I correct? Star one to unmute. Yes, you're correct. This is Diane. Go right ahead. Okay. um, I want to go straight to the point. The different ladies stated that they were in the program for quite some time, and then they got absence, and that is what's going on with me. I've always heard people say I have 20 years, uh, 36, 12, and no one has ever said in any of the meetings that I've been in for all these years of about 25 years, but I didn't get sober until or absence until the last da-da-da years. What are the thoughts on that, and how did you survive? I'm on step six and seven, so I'm on a perfect place, and it's meaning a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Okay, let's start at the top with Janice. Um, yes, that's a, it, it, that's also an excellent question. You know, for me, from the time of my first OA meeting back in 1989, I, I actually in 1990 I began attending OA regularly and never stopped and never stopped. And I had long periods of abstinence. I had some significant weight loss, but I always had a sense of white knuckling it, and I always had this sense of inevitability that sooner or later the other shoe was going to drop and I was going to pick up again. And it wasn't until 2001. July 1st of 2001, that somehow deep inside of myself came a surrender like nothing else before. And, and I, I began working the program directly out of the big book in a way that I had never been able to before. And because I had a community of people all doing the same thing, I had things teachers, good teachers, people to rely on, people to, to um, I had been carrying my big book around with me prior to 2001. I had been trying to translate my, what I knew in OA into, into what I was reading in the big book, and, and by myself, I was just not able to do it. And so um, after that point, you know, the, the, the tide turned. You know, the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide, and the tide turned. And so since 2001, you know, I have had a recovery like I had never experienced before. And thank you, God, it's one day at a time. It's one day at a time. And I, every day is another day of abstinence. Every day is another day of recovery. And I do the same thing yesterday, and I'll get the same results. You know, another day of abstinence, another day of recovery, one day at a time. But, um, you know, I, I I hope that's helpful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And Carolyn, would you wish to respond to that as well? Could you um, repeat the question? I'm sorry. 
Uh, Diane wanted to know, you know, oftentimes she hears speakers state that they've been around the rooms for years, if not decades. How did you hang in there until uh, you <laughs> began actually uh, your process of recovery with great intention and motivation? Well, um, for me, I, I, I've been here for years and didn't get programmed until almost four years ago, like I shared in my story. But um, what kept me coming was I knew I was insane, and I knew the people in the rooms were just as insane as me, and some of them got it and some of them didn't. But I knew that I wanted what the ones that got it had, and I didn't know how to get there. And I kept trying my way, my way. And then finally one day it hit me like God dropped a ton of bricks on my head and said, when are you going to wake up and understand the answers are in the big book, the answers are in the steps of this program, the answers are becoming spiritual. Get it and hang on to it. You need it. You're ready now. And that was my gift of desperation. I actually was sitting in a face-to-face -face meeting, bawling my eyes out. Nobody knew why I was crying. But I got this revelation while I was sitting in a chair, and I realized that I was desperate. And I said, please, God, put the right people. I can't feel you in my heart right now. Help me to feel you in my heart and put the right people into my life to give me the gift of recovery. And I remember that day very vividly, very vividly. I couldn't give you a date. I'm bad with dates. I don't remember dates. But I can remember that day very vividly. And it was just amazing. From there, it has all been uphill. It has all been with my hand and my higher power's hand, my willingness, my open-mindedness, and my ability Finally, finally be honest with myself that I just couldn't do it on my own anymore. I just couldn't do it. I was done. I was cooked. Stick me with a fork. I'm done. And I'm just so grateful that I had the ability to just keep going to meetings so that I could see. I know. I stopped for about six or eight months, and I realized I'm a compulsive overeater. I can't be with these other people they are crazy. I, I was with a group of people that were trying to get abstinent but didn't realize that that's what they were doing. And I thought, these people are sicker than I am. I need to go back to the rooms and I, I need to figure out how I can get this program. And it was all about bringing God in. That's all I had to do was say, okay, God, I am truly ready and willing. That was it, and it, it's all been uphill from there with that I passed. Thank you, Carolyn. And Deb, did you have any thoughts on that matter? I'll be quick, Leah, but I do have a thought. Um, so my abstinence date is July 27, 2009. Um, that was not the first day I went into um, OA. Um, I was in a treatment program when I was 20 years old um, for anorexia and bulimia, and um, I did everything I was told to do. So I did my, you know, I did my treatment. I went to meetings, um, did the rest of it. And then I didn't ever want to go back. Um, I was done. 
And so I don't think I was in OA for 20 years. I might have been part of a group, but I wasn't working any program if I had stayed, right? I was, um, I was out in the world working my program. Um, and, and I love, you know, and more about alcoholism, it says, therefore it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing, and here's the truth. Many of many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. And that's where, you know, I pursued it so close to those gates, really so close I could see them. You know, I could see them in front of me. And, uh, you know, so I, I walked away. I, did, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was going to go out and do it on my own. Um, I used to joke that, you know, I was sick and tired of hearing about people being sick and tired. Um, and I took the parts of the big book and applied them to my life where I thought they would do me good, just as Bill talks about doing in, um, when he talks about um, his belief about people's uh, beliefs about uh, Christ. Um, and so, you know, the bottom line was I, you know, it, it, I had to hit bottom completely and totally for me, and I'm just grateful that bottom for me was not, was, was not crossing that gate to insanity or death. Um, so again, I think when, when we talk about it, you know, it's not about anything that I've done, right? And, and I can't let my pride in. I love that you heard both Janice and Carolyn say they were in for a long time, but it took time to get it. But they talk about when their absence state was, when they really got the program. I just took a different path, but it's the same thing. My pride was in my way. My belief that I could do it my way was in my way. All of those years that I wasn't in a room, it was the same process. I went through the exact same process. I just didn't do it, you know, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. I did it outside. But thank God I knew there was a place for me to come when my methods had failed utterly. Absolutely, utterly, um, and the pride didn't wasn't keeping me alive anymore, and my ways weren't working anymore. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, and thank you, Diane, for the question. Any other questions specifically related to step six and seven before we bid farewell this morning? This is this Susan. Is Susan, I heard you. Go ahead. And I think there was a Judith. Thank you so much, okay. Leah and ladies, for speaking so beautifully on step six and seven, and specifically conveying how much of a process it is that it's not just you know a one-off event or one uh, an event that just happens. So my question related to that is, how have each of you uh, managed to be gentle with yourselves while doing the work, not in place of doing the work, but while doing it as this process is unfolding and these nasty character defects continue to rear their heads as human beings. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Panelist? Leah, I'd like, yes. to, I'd like to hit that one really quickly. Um, it's Deb, and I think... For me, um, it's really was it was all about step three, um, and you know making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God 
um, as I understood him, and recognizing that um, these are all things that I've done. I have been loved, period, throughout my life. By God, I may not have loved myself, but I was loved. Um, And that it's not about picking up the stick and continuing to beat myself. That's what I did in my actions every time I tried to do something on my own, right? I would never live up to my own standard because I didn't have the power to do that. Um, And I just, it's about trusting that the outcome is going to be exactly the way it's going to be. And in taking step three, um, that to me is about trusting the outcome, not just with the results of the people in my life that I love who may have things happen to them, you know, and trusting that what is supposed to happen will happen, believing that the outcomes will be what they're supposed to be, but also believing that in this process that the outcomes will be what they were supposed to be. And any time I pick up that two-by-four that I believe that I buried and burned, um, that's not my job. You know, my job is to keep an eye up my toward, right, an eye towards God, really, which is what it says, and to keep moving in that direction. Um, and not uh, it's it's not when i live that way i have, i avoid creating the pain there's no more of that pain so trust the outcome you know you make a decision and then you trust the outcome um and that pain is it's you know it's it's what we did i actually may have never felt it the first time so i'm feeling it and then it's done and it's gone and i'm loved and i'm going to be held and taken care of in a way that i was never capable of doing that myself and with that i pass thank you deb any of the other panelists feel compelled to speak on that? It's Carolyn. Go ahead. That um, was truly um, where I was at. That baseball bag was getting heavier and heavier because I was constantly beating myself up because I couldn't get this program. But the reason why I couldn't get the program was because I truly didn't have the right tools in front of me. I didn't have the right people in my life to say, this is truly how you need to work this program, and it'll work. Simple, but not easy. And once I started actually getting into the reading of the book and understanding what was being read, I love the way we explain each paragraph. Somebody shares on every paragraph and gives me an insight, because my reading it, it's just like, as I said earlier, going into that neighborhood alone, I, I have one perception of God, and I need to hear, I need to hear other people's ideas and opinions about what those paragraphs mean to them so that I can look at that paragraph again that normally didn't mean anything to me initially, and I say, oh, yeah, I see that. I see that now, and I I see how I can apply that in my life, or I see how that is part of my life, or I see how that was me, because it's explained to me by people in a way that I could never understand it before. You know, there, there were just a bunch of words in a paragraph. To me, they had no effect. The very first time I read Bill's story, I was like, what's this got to do with me? You know, because I wasn't a fallen down drunk, so I couldn't relate. So my ears kind of shut off to it. But in having it in a setting where 
each paragraph is discussed on an individual basis, it's like, wow. I look at the, I love Bill's story today. I love going into his story and picking me out of there because I'm in that story all over the place. I never saw that before when I used to read the big book because I read it as a novel. It's a textbook. It's a textbook. Textbooks are meant to be studied. And you can't study by yourself. You know, there's always study groups. Even in school, they had study groups, and they were study groups for a reason, because somebody else might see something you miss. And that's what a study group is. You know, you need to be in a group with people that see something that you might be missing so that just like with this panel, with there's three of us, they, and all three of us had a different aspect and perspective on how we shared this morning, but we all get to the same place. And that's what the beauty of it is. We all get to the same place, but we have different ways of getting there. And that's the open-mindedness and the willingness to see that there's always a different way, always not always the best way, and it's not definitely not the only way. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank this is you. Janice. Yes, Janice. <laughs> thank you, Leah. Thank you. And thank you for that uh for that question, you know, how how do we be gentle with ourselves? You know, I'm gonna give you a little bit of my own take, you know, so um on this because it uh this is something that uh is near and dear to me. You know, I I um I have always had people say things about me. Oh, Janice, she's so sweet. She's so sensitive. She's so gentle. She's so kind. Well, let me tell you, in the disease, you know, I had an attitude and I I wanted to control everything. And, you know, my attitude was, I don't care and you don't matter. And that was not easy for me to look at. And I tell you, I am grateful for the people that helped me work these steps that help me look at these things deep inside of myself. The delusion had to be smashed. The delusion had to be smashed. And that word smashed is very significant for me. Because in order to get deep down inside my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and my inconsiderateness, I had to get past all of that stuff. That outer facade you know, that I that I had. And yes, is that my heartfelt desire today that God lets me be sensitive to other people, that God lets me be gentle with other people? You know, it says we are hard on ourselves and easy on others. But I had to learn to be hard on myself in order to get to the truth of the matter. And once through those steps, once that was revealed to me in steps four and five. And once God could remove it from me and I could ask for help in six and seven and and make my amends and heal those relationships in eight and nine, then getting to 10, 11, and 12 allowed me to be the person God had always intended me to be. But I'm grateful for the people who held firm to the line who helped me look at deep in myself at things that I did not want to look at. I wanted to be oh so gentle on myself. 
But I needed to be hard on myself until those things could be removed and transformed. I had to look, be able to learn to look at the lens of, through the lens of spirituality. And I wasn't able to do that in my selfishness and my self-centeredness. But now today, you know, I am as quick to forgive others because I've learned to forgive myself. Because I've learned that I can't be perfect. And so it allows me to look at other people with gentleness and kindness and love. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And thank you, Susan, for that question. And before we close, did I hear Judith has a question as well? Thank you, Leah. Thank you, everybody. This is Judith, compulsive overeater. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you guys could talk about how you lead your sponsees through six and seven, because they've always seemed so abstract and ethereal that I really didn't know how to do that. Um, so I'd love to hear about that, please. Thanks. Thank you. Panelists, who would like to go first? This is Carolyn. Thank you. I um I, I just want to say that um, with my sponsees, they're not at that point yet. Um, several of them are still at step one, and only one of them is on her fourth step right now. So... I am not there just yet, but um, my sponsor, for me, um, told me that I had to sit for um, a few days with the question before um, I could even say yes, that I was willing. And then we um, talked a little bit about it before I did anything with it. But um, I'm not even sure... How, how I will do that, I'm sure that at the time I will just give it over to my higher power and let him lead the way um, because that's truly what it's all about. It's um, about um, self-analysis pretty much and that um, having the willingness to allow God to take the defects of character away from us and just going through the defect of character list and seeing um, individually which one, um, which ones definitely apply to them that um, are an issue in their life today. And um, I'm hoping that when I get to that point, uh, I'll just give it over to my higher power and it'll all be good from there. Thanks. Thank you. Janice or Deb P., did you want to share any experience with sponsorship related to Step 6 and 7? It's Deb. Go ahead, Deb. Um, first of all, I guess uh, the thing that um, uh, I go back to again is um, the directions in the book. On page 75 at the bottom, um, right after step five, the very last paragraph tells us what we do. And so it tells me how to help someone else. Right. So returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page, so now we're starting the process of understanding if we're ready to take step six. So it says, taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reviewing the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything. 
for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. So it, it says right there, it's saying, you know, direct them to ask, to really reflect. And, um, and I've asked, and I usually have them write, right? Have I omitted anything? Right, and we end up having a talk because something will come to mind sometimes, or it won't, right? But it's just the it's the honest question, and you know we don't get to do this for people. This again, this is something that they do, they do for themselves. It's just as a guide, this is what it tells me to do, and it and it tells it tells us to ask ourselves, right? So my sponsees, is your work solid so far? They have to ask themselves this: Do they feel good about their work so far? Is it solid? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. And then to, to, to do step six, it's like take another look at those character defects. Are you ready? In each one of them, ask the question, am I now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable. So each one, am I really ready? Am I ready? And if not, we have a conversation about it, you know, because usually when you, t- for me, when I talked about it, it would be like, wow, I thought I wasn't ready to let this go. What If I let go of my fear, what's going to motivate me in the future? Doesn't that sound crazy? But that was one of my things because I thought my fear is what got me my success. I was so afraid of not having that it drove me to have. And but when I talked about it with someone else, and when they talk about it with me, you can see the other side of it. And so then it asks the question, can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. And by the way, the book tells me we're not struck perfect, so our sponsees are not struck perfect. <laughs> I certainly haven't been struck perfect. And so it's a lifetime process of the character defects rearing their heads and then going back and saying again, you know, God help me. So, um, you know, it's about reflecting, reading, getting honest with ourselves, for my sponsees to get honest with themselves, um, ask themselves these questions, um, and and talk about it in an open manner. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Deb? Janice, Janice, did you want to? Yes, go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Leah. I'll I'll try to be quick with this because, you know, I am a very practical-minded girl. I'm a very practical-minded girl. And I think that um, the directions in the big book are are so wonderful about step six and seven because it asks us, yes, to, to absolutely look at what's just happened in step five. What's been revealed to me? What do I now see that I couldn't see before? What do I know are those big are my biggest stumbling blocks? Because it says, you know, that the keywords entirely ready underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. You know, that's from the twelve and twelve on page sixty five. So, you know, to to be at that place of readiness and and to see these things clearly, well what am I gonna do with that now? What am I going to do with that? Well, hopefully, I'm going to get right into steps eight and nine. You know, I'm going to be working towards steps eight and nine because we're in a race against time. We're in a race against time to get through these steps so that we can be relieved and be in that place of peace and ease and comfort. You know, and we've got some, still got some work ahead of us. So I asked my sponsees, 
um, some questions. They do some writing about six and, six and seven. They, they look at the 12 and 12 in step six and seven. You know, what more are we learning about these steps? And then what are the practical things you can do? What are the practical things you can do when some of these things rear their heads so that you don't pick up the food, so that you don't fall back into those old patterns? And, and I share with them what I do. You know, praying, pausing and praying, doing a phone call. Sometimes I just count in my head to keep myself from saying something hurtful. You know, I count one, two, three. I just count until I'm feeling more at peace. You know, I don't assume anything. And so I keep these practical, and these things, these practical things that I do, I have carried with me forever. They are part of my spiritual practice now because they, it, it says these things are going to keep on coming up in me, that there will always be things in us that oppose the grace of God. We're human. We're also human. So these are the very practical things that I share with my sponsees that I have them do to reveal more to themselves about what are those big ones that are going to be blocking you, that are going to keep coming up, and what can you do in the moment? What can you do in this day? And then it, it just keeps building and building and building into a kind of spiritual practice and a spiritual way of living. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. And thank you to all our panelists this morning, Janice B. and Carolyn H. and Deb P. Thank you for your time and your energy, sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us on the line this morning. And, of course, thank you to everyone who attended and asked questions. Amy, Yvonne, Gwen, Du, Rose, Diane, Susan, and Judith, thank you so much as well. And I will close the meeting with the way that A Vision for You closes, which is from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.